0: Boarding the cruise ship for our recent holiday, Joel noticed his music teacher standing there in the boarding queue. Corinne and I felt sorry for his teacher, but Joel went to say hello to him. Imagine how tough it would be, friends, having to holiday with the people that you teach. Still, Joel returned all smiles from his chat with his teacher and was now keen for his holiday. The music teacher had invited us to the Blue Room, the ship's onboard onboard jazz bar. Every night during the cruise, Joel's music teacher was performing live in a makeshift jazz band. Joel and I turned up the first night of of the cruise and instantly we'd become black suede groupies. Now, I'm not much of a jazz fan, but live music every night at a bar... On holidays, I was prepared to make a few adjustments. (laughs) On the second night, Joel's music teacher talked with Joel about playing guitar with the band one night during the cruise. They even came up with a few song suggestions for Joel to perform with Black Suede later that week. Still every night at 9pm, Joel and I turned up to the Blue Room, learning to appreciate jazz music and to chat with the band between their sets. After a few nights of doing this together, we were on a first-name basis with the entire band, still wondering if tonight was the night that Joel would make his big debut as a jazz musician. It was about mid-cruise and midway through their second set that suddenly the vocalist appeared very distracted. She tripped over some of her lyrics in her song and was looking closely at someone, particularly in the crowd. As the song abruptly finished, there was an impromptu meeting of the band and then lead singer Rebecca made this announcement to the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a really great privilege to have with us tonight one of Australia's greatest vocalists and a multi-award-winning ARIA singer. Rebecca then invited on stage to perform with the band six-time ARIA award-winning jazz singer Katie Noonan, who'd been nominated, who's who been nominated for an ARIA every year since 2005. Katie, clearly also on holidays from her day job, immediately declined the invitation to perform. But suddenly, we were no longer the band's favourite members in their audience. <laughs> During the set breaks, now they went and hung out with Katie instead. Even after a few holiday cocktails, I'd admit, I'm first, I'd be the first to admit that I prefer to listen to Katie Noonan than hear Joel sing any day. But that wasn't what Joel was waiting for. Joel was waiting for his invitation to come up on stage. Now, the way things turned out, Joel never got to be on stage with Black Suede and the band broke up after the cruise. But here's my point... As soon as someone with a higher profile, a proven track record as a musician, a highly acclaimed singer, an award winning artist walks in, suddenly the invitation becomes immediate and the offer extended without prior consultation. Friends, that's what partiality is. That's what favouritism looks like. Now, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, come on, Mike, you're just being a proud dad. She's a professional award-winning singer. And besides, that's how the world works, isn't it? And you know what? You'd be right, friend. James would absolutely agree with you. That's how the world works. But it's not meant to be that way in the church. Hey, if you're just joining us this morning, welcome. Great to have you here. We're in our teaching series on James. It's a short, punchy and practical guide about what it means to be a Christ follower. This little letter was written by James, the little half-brother of Jesus, and now his servant. As Jesus' little brother, James knows all about playing second string to a favourite. But it was James who showed partiality. James was guilty of playing favourites. James preferred the approval of others and sold out his own brother for it. The word that became flesh, friends, was rejected by his own flesh and blood. James played up to the crowds. James sought out the acceptance of others. At one point, James even publicly declared during Jesus' ministry that Jesus was out of his mind just to win public approval. Following now Jesus' death and resurrection from the dead, the risen Lord Jesus appeared to James. And so now James writes to those who live in the margins. This letter is about how to live wholeheartedly for Jesus. And so far, James has told us that we need to persevere, remain steadfast, keep on showing up, says James, stick at it, because God does some of his deepest work within us during our most hard and most difficult times. Remember, when we want out the most, that's when God most wants in. Last week, we heard about listening, that real change only happens when we listen to God. God. But we also heard it's not enough just to listen, is it? We need to do what he says. God's word needs to be put into action. Otherwise, it's worthless and unacceptable religion, says James. When it comes to putting God's word into action, living out the living word, James says, show no partiality. See it with me, won't you? Chapter 2, verse verse 1. Pardon me. James 2, verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Once again, it's a clear commandment from James, isn't it? Not a lot of room here for interpretive alternatives. And there's no leeway either way anyway, because this is an imperative. Show no partiality. Remember, friends, James is speaking to the church, and he says, don't show favoritism. Now, you can't expect the world... To behave like the church but this is how the world works right we all have our favorites our favorite food our favorite people our favorite places our favorite colors our favorite sport our favorite teams we're all partial to showing partiality even our friends sorry even our parents have favorites i heard a comedian say recently all parents have a favorite child and if you don't know who it is then it's definitely not you The world loves celebrity and success. We celebrate our heroes and our achievers, don't we? We aspire to live the good life along with all of the trimmings of fame and fortune. We love the perks and the privileges. We prefer the haves to the have-nots. Exclusive clubs, special rates, secret deals, members-only offers, customer loyalties, frequent flyers. Worldly acceptance is based on what we can provide And how we make other people feel. And love is offered conditionally, isn't it? Favor given and taken away based on performance. Self promotion is everywhere. We want to be seen and we want to be known by others. We show off everything that we do online, and there we brag and we shape our own fictional narrative. We're in the business of selling and promoting ourselves, all for the bargain price of acceptance and of approval. We've reduced, the God, we've reduced being God's image bearers, friends, to being commodities requiring marketing. Human life is measured purely in economic terms. Our value reduced to being little more than a figure and a dollar sign. We've heavily over-invested in ourselves and we ride the rise and fall of our own popularity stocks. Our worth gets seen in our possessions and our positions and our status in our achievements and our accessories. That is the currency that the world operates on. That is the marketplace that you and I live in. The world shows favoritism. The world has its favorites. And if you're following Jesus the way that James is suggesting here, then you are definitely not among their favorites. We cannot expect the world to behave like the church. But if we hold the faith of the Lord of glory, then James expects us to behave differently. Won't you see it with me in verse 2? For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes to your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes, comes in also and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say you sit here in a good place while well, you say to the poor man you stand over there or sit down at my feet It's a well-known example, isn't it? The rich man versus the poor man, the gold rings versus the designer threads compared with being threadbare and barely holding your life together. We don't really need to imagine such a scenario, do we? The welcoming team gushes over contestant number one, here you go, have a great seat, let me get you a cup of coffee, while keeping a close eye on contestant number two, how much he consumes over morning tea and his physical proximity to the offering box. Now you might think this kind of treatment would never happen in our church. So let me ask you this question. Who are you saying hello to as soon as this is finished? Who are you making a beeline for after church this morning? The young couple with a couple of kids who seem to be visiting us with us for the first time or one of the elderly ladies who sit in a wheelchair and take up some of our aisle space? The attractive young person who appears to be single and successful and studying, or the guy who's, by his skin colour, it looks like his English wouldn't be all that great. Here's the point. Verse 4. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now here's the problem. The church is no different to the world. We favour people too, based on their appearances. We favour those who appear to have the most to offer us. We show favouritism to those we like and partiality that we want to be like and we want to like us. Do that, says James, and your religion is worthless, impure and defiled by the world. See it again, James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. But we also engage in transactions with other people according to the economic values of the world, don't we? Ouch. That hurt, didn't it? Well, I'm not done yet. When we operate church like it's a business when we measure everything by the numbers and by the trends, when we train pastors and leaders for result-based performance and outcomes, we end up treating people exactly the same way, as though they were another consumer commodity, as though people were KPIs to boast and brag about, as though relationships are ROIs just waiting to pay off for us. This thinking is so ingrained into our culture That we are far more influenced by it than we'd like to think that we are. But church is meant to go against the grain. Look there, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Here's what I want you to do take a look around you this morning, just have a look around at the other people that are here. We are not overrun by rich and successful people, are we? We're not exactly full of attractive influences. Have a look at the sort of people responding to God's call in the gospel, won't you? Paul made a similar observation about the makeup of church not long after James wrote this letter. See it with me now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. The words are here for you. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being may boast in the presence of God. You see, here's the deal. If you're saying God has called you, if you believe that you've been chosen by him to be his, if you're now waiting around for his promised inheritance, then the message of the gospel is deeply humbling, isn't it? It is abundantly clear that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot make ourselves right before God. We cannot merit his calling of us. We cannot earn his inheritance. We must admit our own lack before God, our own great need and our own desperate condition. Besides, an inheritance is something that is promised and gifted to you. It's not something that you can achieve for yourself or even actualize. Ingenuity and legwork doesn't work with God. Fame and fortune won't get you there either. Jesus did not come to offer himself as a top-up for us, to go along with all of our other religious accomplishments. Jesus doesn't make up the balance difference in what we are spiritually lacking before God. Being poor means you are broke. Worse than that, worse than being broke, you're in debt. We have nothing to contribute. We have nothing at all to offer. We need Jesus to do it all for us. We're dependent and relying on him for everything. You see, the world holds the poor accountable for their debts. But God's favour is on those who know that they are poor. Why do we seek the favour of the rich and the attractive when our Saviour wasn't any of these things? See him there with me, Isaiah 53 verse 2. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. When we dishonor those who are poor, when we show partiality to those we like, when we mistreat the lowly and despised, we do what they did to Jesus. We behave just like the world does. Rather than siding with the one who sides with us, we side instead with our oppressors. Don't show favoritism, says James. It contradicts God's choice, but it also contradicts God's law, and it's opposed to his mercy. See that now, chapter 2, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as as transgressors. See what it's saying here. James is saying that showing partiality breaks God's perfect law. In Leviticus nineteen, God commanded His people, "Love your neighbor as yourself." But it is also one of the but it, it is also one of the Old Testament laws that Jesus most quoted. Jesus says this verse sums up the entire law. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself is is biblical ethics in a nutshell. It's God's law in a bullet point. It's the executive summary of the entire law. When it comes to the way we treat others, love your neighbour as yourself sums up everything that God wants from us. James even calls it the royal law because King Jesus repeated it that regularly. Even Jesus fulfilled these laws' demands. He instructed his disciples now to do the same. Love one another, he said. Hear it again, John 13, verse 34. And you commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. So also you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one for another. what defines us as God's people, what defines us as God's chosen, what marks us out as being Christ's disciples is the demonstration of our love for one another, our love for our neighbours. Love your neighbour as yourself. But James says when we show partiality, when we're biased by our own preferences, we then become transgressors. Look there, verse 10. For whoever keeps... The whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. To transgress is to be a transgressor. That's what happens when we show favoritism. When we operate out of our own preferences, transgressing is overstepping the mark. It's entering into a prohibited place. Friends, to transgress is to trespass. It is to find ourselves in a place where we have no right to be. Showing partiality, getting this wrong, isn't just some small incidental thing, says James. Because the whole of the law hangs together. Break part of it, you break it all. Showing favouritism, says James, is akin to being an adulterer and a murderer. You see, partiality doesn't just tip the glass like it, like it does when you drop your iPhone. It shatters the whole window and the entire unit now needs to be replaced. In case you missed it, here's James's point. Don't show favoritism. It contradicts God's choice. It contradicts God's law. And it's opposed to God's mercy. Look there, verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The law of liberty isn't the old law that condemns us. The law of liberty is now the law that sets us free. But the same law that sets us free is now the law that you and I must put into practice. Love your neighbour as yourself, love one another as I have loved you, said Jesus. But when we show favoritism, we act in judgment against other people. God has shown us mercy. The law exposes the kinds of lives that we live. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here, James puts it the other way around. Judgment without mercy to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy defines the gospel. We demonstrate we've received Christ's mercy when we show mercy towards other people. When we've been gripped by God's mercy to us, we will treat others with the same mercy. The mercy that God shows us in the gospel transforms us. It's meant to change us because the gospel changes us. It's not going to be immediate change. It's going to take time. But it needs to be obvious. Remember, not just hearers of the word, but doers. But if you never show mercy towards other people, that is, if you continue to show partiality based on preferences, if you judge others because of their appearance, if you avoid them because you don't like them, if you like them because of what they can give you, if you like them because of how they make you feel, then it's pretty obvious to the rest of us that you've not accepted or internalized the mercy of God. Friends, the church needs to be different from the world. Our lives need to be defined by the gospel, but not just simply by our words. It needs to be lived out through our actions. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we sit here this morning both free because of what Jesus has done for us, and yet at the same time guilty of showing favouritism. We've treated others according to our own preferences, according to our own biases. We've not loved our neighbour as ourselves. We've not loved one another as you've loved us. And for this, Lord Jesus, we ask for your forgiveness. Would you help us to be people who not just hear your word, but who do it, who put it into action, who live differently from the world, and that our lives are seen to be different in the way that we treat and love one another. Lord Jesus, we thank you again for your words to us, that we are to love one another as you've loved us so that the world would know that we are your disciples. And so now we pray by our love for each other. The world would come to know your love also. Forgive us for showing favoritism to people here at church, to hanging out with the people that we like to hang out with all the time, in talking only with our friends, in talking to only those who are attractive to us. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would love one another, all those you've gathered here, and all that you are gathering, because we are people who've been gripped by your mercy and changed by your grace. Would you help us to be that church, Lord Jesus, the church that does and not just says, for we ask it all for his sake. Amen.